Hi, this is Steve. Last week, I told you that recording Back to the Future with special guests Michael Vogel and Shannon McClung was among the best times I've ever had on The Cinephiles. And if you agreed after hearing part one, you're going to love part two, where we continue to crack each other up as we explore what I would argue is the greatest time travel film ever made. And if you like hearing Michael and Shannon talk Back to the Future, maybe you should check out some of their other guest spots on The Cinephiles. For Shannon, that means our exploration of another time travel franchise with Terminator 1 and Terminator 2. Michael Vogel is our most frequent guest on The Cinephiles, going all the way back to our third episode ever, Superman, starring Christopher Reeve, and continuing through Beauty and the Beast, The Incredibles, Aliens, The Birdcage, and two Star Wars films, A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back. I wonder if there's another Star Wars movie we should do with him. Hmm. With all that to listen to, you're going to need to do some serious shopping at cinephiles.net before coming back on Friday to hear part two of Back to the Future with two of our favorite guests, Shannon McClung and Michael Vogel. Lorraine, have you ever uh, been in a situation where you knew you had to act a certain way, but when you got there, you didn't know if you could go through with it? I I think I know exactly what you mean. You, You do? You know what I do in those situations? What? I don't worry. Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where we return with our special guests, Shannon McClung and Michael Vogel, to discuss part two of Back to the Future. My name is Steve Morris, and I am a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roke. I'm a voiceover artist, writer, producer, and host over at Collider Video for Collider and Collider Sports. <laughs> I got to push the sports. Sports thing. was a lot of punt. I got to, yeah. It's, I gotta Did push the, vo- it. To the vocal energy, does that... That's sports, Colorado sports. Today, Colorado sports. We're talking all kinds of things. Yeah, no, I love it, and uh, that's. I'm excited to jump back into part two with these two knuckleheads. I've had so much fun, yeah. talking about <laughs> the slackers. movie with these guys. These two slackers. <laughs> um, it has been great. Shall we jump? Shall we jump just directly back in? Yeah, I'm glad Jeez. to be back for day two. So when last we saw our time traveler, he had already screwed up the future by getting hit by his grandfather's car in place of his dad, and brought up to his mom's bedroom where she started to see him as the lost puppy. His only hope is to seek out the one friend he has back in 1955, and that's Doc Brown. Doc? Don't say a word. Doc, I don't want to know your name. I don't want to know anything about you. Listen, Doc. This is, by the way, shot at the Gamble House in Pasadena, oh. which is a beautiful example of craftsman architecture designed by architects Green and Green, and there is some rumor that my house was designed by Green and Green. Oh, wow. Hey. I don't think it is. We're, we're, we're pretty sure, because I went to check, and there's no records of who the hell built my house. There's like one thing in the Hall of Records that says, it was built. In 1916. Wow. Um, But not by who. But the Gamble House is beautiful. You should visit if you want in Pasadena and want to see some beautiful craftsman architecture. Um, And he knocks on the front door. The interiors, by the way, are a different green and green craftsman house in Pasadena called the Blacker House. I know all of you wanted to know that information. True. Uh, And were your interiors in your house designed by the Blacker House people? (laughs) They're all green and green. The same designers. (laughs) (laughs) The the same designers that designed the Gamble House and Blacker House did not design the outside of your house and who designed the inside. That's what I'm trying (laughs) to do. Probably nobody important. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, um, and he knocks on the door and Doc Brown pops out wearing a big thing on his head. God. 
I love Christopher. You know, most Lloyd. most most characters, most actors in a movie get one really good entrance in the movie if yeah. they're lucky. Doc Brown has like I think every scene is a great entrance. <laughs> every scene is a great entrance. And by the way, they had shot this whole scene in this house in Pasadena uh, with Eric Stoltz, and then they go, okay, we got to go shoot it again. They go back to the people that own the house, and those people had sold the house. And the house was in escrow, and escrow was closing in like five days. And they're like, we have to shoot this scene in the next five days, or otherwise we don't know if we'll ever get in this house again. Wow. Um, which they did manage to do. Um, and so Doc puts a suction cup on Marty's head and wants to read his mind. <laughs> Another Coast Guard joke. <laughs> There's a lot of them in this movie. You want me to make a donation to the Coast Guard Youth Auxiliary? Doc. I'm from the future. I came here in a time machine that you invented. Now I need your help to get back to the year 1985. Doc Brown's response in a really great slow way is, <laughs> my God, do you know what this means? It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> and he says, no, you invented a time machine. I love Doc Brown. Touches the bandage on his head and says, time machine. And then he wants to prove it. He pulls out his driver's license. He pulls out a picture of his family. And he's like, this is a terrible picture. It's, it's it, the photo cut off your brother's hair. Oh. Yeah. And then he says, who is president? Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan? The actor? <laughs> Ronald What's really funny about this joke is, it is, would work, is that it would work exactly. today. Exactly. Yeah, true. <laughs> exactly Absolutely. right. <laughs> Apparently, when Ronald Reagan screened this movie in the White House... He thought this was so funny, he had them rewind the film and play this joke again. <laughs> Which kind of makes me like Ronald Reagan. Yeah, It's not my favorite guy, but... Rewind it. <laughs> um, and then we get on a run of jokes. Who's the Secretary of State? Jerry Lewis. Uh, and he follows Doc, and finally he says, the story of, you fell off the toilet, you hit your head, you had the idea for the flux capacitor, and now Doc comes out. And we're out... On a very, very foggy night back at Lyons Estate and to go see the car. And this, by the way, was shot on the Universal Backlot. The daytime exterior was shot somewhere way far away. And all they did was they take those big Lyons Estate's entranceways and it's shot like right next to the Psycho House on the Universal Backlot. And the reason that it's so foggy is not because it looks cool. It's so you can't see the Psycho House right in the background <laughs> of the shots. After I fell off my toilet, I drew this. He shows the drawing. Flux capacitor. And Marty opens up the DeLorean and points to the actual flux capacitor. And the joy of Doc Brown to realize that he actually invented something that works. It works! <laughs> it works! I finally invent something that works! It's your ass it works. Uh, he doesn't know about the mechanical dog food arm yet because that seemed pretty effective. <laughs> it's really, let's be honest, which are you going to get more use out of? <laughs> True. I mean, it won't stop my parents from ever meeting by building a mechanical dog food arm. It doesn't seem as dangerous. But the plutonium as aspect makes it up. A... How many times have, how many different ways have you said plutonium? Plut plutonium. I don't know, man. <laughs> I was never good at science. <laughs> or pronunciation, apparently. 
no, I speak English mighty well. <laughs> uh, back at Doc's place, we have managed to hook up the videotape. By the way, they could not find a black and white TV to play this. They couldn't make it work with all the intel. So what they did was uh-huh. they got a color TV, they a small color TV. They built it into an old TV set, and then they played the movie in black and white. Did you guys ever have black and white TV? Mm. Yeah. No, I know we did. We're old enough to have it. Yeah. Did you have a black and white TV? No. Fascinating. Never. I had in my dorm room, I had a nine-inch black and white TV. I remember watching the the premiere of Star Trek The Next Generation in my dorm room on my nine-inch black and white TV. Oh, wow. I had a 25-inch TV (laughs) with a Nintendo 64 hooked up to it in my uh, dorm room. Here we go. Yeah, the charmed I know. life of Michael Vogel. <laughs> we had we had a black and white TV with no remote control. You had to get up and turn yeah, yeah. the knobs you downstairs. Oh yeah, and then upstairs, when we got the color TV downstairs, I got to have a twelve inch, thirteen inch black and white TV. That's where I watched all my professional wrestling growing nice. up as a kid. Was Channel Twenty on the black and white TV, sitting next to the television. Those were the days. I remember my parents; they had the big. Like color TV, but in the console right. built into a big wooden piece of furniture, right? And uh, and it had just the you know the knob to control it. And my grandparents got a TV with the remote that made the ping noise. And I remember, oh, yeah. and they had a glass coffee table. Yeah, so it wasn't infrared. You don't remember this? No, I have no this idea. This is why it was called yeah. the clicker. Mm-hmm. Is that it made a noise, and the noise would tell the TV to turn the channel. Yep. And they had a glass coffee table, and if you dropped your keys on the glass coffee table, the TV would change the channel. <laughs> Vogel's looking at me like, what kind of barbarian society do you come yeah, from? Yeah, yeah. We had two TVs in my house. <laughs> Nobody did. has two TVs. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, okay. So we're watching the videotape. And it's funny because does he did he videotape Doc getting shot? He didn't, right? I don't think no, so. He but he certainly videotaped the plutonium and the Libyans and all this stuff right. is on the videotape. Um, and then we get to the information that you need 1.21 gigawatts to do this thing, and Doc Brown has a total freak out. 1.21 gigawatts! 1.21 gigawatts! 1.21 gigawatts! Great Scott! <laughs> Does he say Great Scott here? Is this where he says Great yeah, Scott? Says great Is Scott. this the Great Scott? Yeah. Great Scott! And he goes, how can I be so careless? And Marty's like, well, we just need to get some plutonium. <laughs> oh, well, maybe plutonium is <laughs> everywhere in 1985. And he's like, I think you're stuck here. He's like, no, I can't. I got, I got a girl. And they go, well, is she pretty? Oh, she, Doc, she's beautiful. And then he pulls out, look what he gave, well, look what she gave me. And shows the I love you with the thing. And on the other side is the flyer to save the clock tower. And then Doc says... Marty, I'm sorry, but the only power source capable of generating 1.21 gigawatts of electricity is a bolt of lightning. What did you say? A bolt of lightning. Unfortunately, you never know when or where it's ever going to strike. We do now. Uh, by the way, one thing, you know, you were talking about the note card uh, way of writing of right. writing scripts, but like another thing that I think people don't realize happens a lot is the back and forth writing oh, when you're okay. doing these scripts that like it's not like everything is figured out in order like no. that, they, that they wrote the scene at the beginning and had her say, I love you. Here's my phone number. I'm going to my grandma's house. And then they get to this part, and they're like, well, it's good that we wrote that. Right, this will right. work out. That a lot of times you go like, you, you reach a point where you have a problem. You're like, how are we going to get? him to bring up this 
like w- like Marty won't have the idea because he's not smart enough to know that that's the same thing. Is he going to leave it out? Is he going to do this? And then they figure out the we need to have Jennifer. And then we go back. And then in you go time. back in the script. Yeah. But then you go back in time. Uh, but then you go back and write. It. I just think you know for for people who don't know like that whole process. Like that is one of those. And you get really excited about it. Oh, like yeah. when you figure that out, you're like, oh shit! And you go back and you put it in. You're like, this works. <laughs> well, and the other thing that happens because it's a lot frequently it's a mathematical equation where you come up with an idea and you go, oh, this should happen here, and then you go, oh no, because if that happens here, then this character already knows that, which means they won't do that, which means they can't do that, which means that doesn't happen. You go, okay, well then if I move this over here, well that would solve that problem, and that creates all these other problems. And you're constantly trying to like, how do I have my cake and eat it too? Have yeah. all these good things I want just, and not mess them all. Spend up. Most of the time, just tetrising your ideas. Yeah. Trying to make them all fit together. And this one, again, this is like the master. You know, like they had that first Rubik's Cube and then they had a bigger one and a bigger one. This one is... This is a really big one. Yeah, and I think that's what and that's what makes and what and when you know you did it right and this movie does it really right where it's so effortless. Like when you get to the end of it and you're watching it, it all just flows so well that you don't think about it, but like it it took them a long time to get there. And there's this great thing I can only describe this as back to the future camera work and it's happened several times where Doc run goes away from camera and Marty comes towards camera and then Marty goes away from camera and Doc comes towards camera and it's so bizarre in terms of filmmaking and it's so great and dramatic and funny and doc is really excited and he goes next saturday night we're sending you back to the future okay all right saturday's good saturday's good i can spend a week in 1955 i can hang out you can show me around marty that is completely out of the question you must not leave this house you must not see anybody or talk to anybody anything you do could have serious repercussions on future events do you understand yeah, well, I might have. Like, well, you know, I really, I fucked up bad, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> I fucked up real bad. Pouring, <laughs> pouring some vodka in glass. Well, I've made some few like, mistakes here, Doc. Whenever my mom fucked up, she poured herself a big glass of vodka. <laughs> <laughs> but the same thing. And, and, he, and Doc says, let me see that picture again, where before, you know, his brother's hair was cut off, and now his brother is half gone, which proves Doc's theory about how time works, which also sort of like, Wait, how come the picture hasn't disappeared? How come the picture is? <laughs> and it's one of those All great. Right. I mean, it is. It is part of the Back to the Future like world of that is like this is how we do stuff and it is great like it's it great. doesn't it makes Absolutely no sense great. at all oh, no. but it's such an awesome visual and it just gets the point across so clearly so visually so dramatically that you're like yep i'll take you it's like, great it's yeah. a perfect visible vis- visual metaphor for what's going on but like when you really think about it what's actually happening is as they all disappear it means that mom and dad took this picture of of, a half. of just the two of us. <laughs> of just me. And then you get to this empty picture, you're like, well, who the fuck took a picture of nothing? <laughs> what? what? Well, and and they didn't, as of this moment in the timeline, they never were together. So yeah, they would all together. disappear all the at picture once. Would there be, should be yeah, no right. picture. The would be it no is, pic- it's a, and, you know, and this is like, and you know, you talked about, <laughs> I'm sitting on a recliner and Sorry, it keeps it, popping out it, and I'm scared for my broke. life. <laughs> um Sorry. Um, but no, you talk about this a lot uh, in, in other things. But like, but like, you know, a, a good movie needs a good clock. Right. It needs that thing that says, oh, we're under the gun. And as soon as they go, oh, well, there's going to be a lightning bolt in a week and you're fine. You're like, okay, well, that's not really a clock because like, you're, yes, we're waiting for that to happen. But there's not the sense of urgency. And by having the picture slowly disappear as opposed to real- realistically, like as soon as 
George got knocked out of the way. It was over. Everyone's over. They don't meet. Every, Marty disappears. Yep. End of movie. But by doing it this way and saying, well, we've got the time as the picture slowly yep. fades, yep. it allows you to uh, to actually have like, oh, this is what this is our clock. Yeah, it's brilliant. And, and so, you know, the thing that we've been saying the whole time is making sure everything makes sense is important. It's just not always the most important thing. It's an important thing. Um, so Marty now dressed in 50s garb is outside the school with Doc. And I love that as they're having a little exposition about what we have to do to get them together, they just step over these bikes that are right in the middle of the grass. And it makes no sense, and it's not important, but it's a totally funny little bit of behavior. They they go inside. We ask, which one's your dad? And there we see George McFly being repeatedly kicked in the butt. Yeah. Because he has that kick me sign. And Doc's response is like, oh boy. <laughs> and they're kicking him really hard. Yeah. Yes. Like, really hard. It's a tough time. It's a hard time in the 50s. I mean, you got to be tough. Principals would diddle you. Like, I mean, you know, it was rough, man. I'm telling you. Um, I've been around a long time. I just, that's a tough time. To and then who comes up again but Strickland looking. Right. Look the, the same. same. And it is such a great joke. Like, for all the amazing makeup work they do on everybody, they age them up and age them down. This idea that he is just a constant is just a great, funny little bit. Maybe he's traveling through time. Maybe. There's a whole nother thing with Strickland, I'm sure. Oh, that's the spinoff. That's what? the spinoff right there. Principal Strickland. This Can we get James Tolkien to come out? <laughs> he probably looks the same. He probably does look the same, for God's sakes. Um, um, what's interesting, too, about this is when Doc Brown, who's a massive science nerd, looks at you, looks at your dad and goes, oh, man, we're in some trouble. Yeah. That tells you something there. Yeah, then you when the nerd goes, the other nerd is way deeper down the well than you are. I wonder a little about, because Doc Brown is clearly the child of a very wealthy family. Yeah. He lives in a mansion. Which he's going to blow all the money in order in the in pursuit of this time machine. I really wonder, like, ooh, young Doc Brown Chronicles. It's another sure. series in our. Uh, oh yeah, he can go I'm off on some that. adventures. I'm like that. Yeah. All right. Copyright cinephiles. Get Neil Patrick here. Actually, I like that a lot. <laughs> That's good. What a shock. <laughs> Let's move um, on. George uh, Marty goes up to George. Like, remember me, the guy who saved your life, and. And as he's talking to him, Doc Brown walks by the Enchantment Under the Sea sign. And again, these are the plants that are happening over and over again. And Marty it's trying to introduce George to Lorraine, and he kind of goes to meet her, and she is only has eyes for Marty. And George kind of walks away. Uh, we hear Lorraine, or Doc hears Lorraine say, isn't he a dreamboat? <laughs> this is going to be tough. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. And I, love, I love Doc's line, which is, This is more serious than I thought. Apparently your mother is amorously infatuated with you instead of your father. Whoa, wait, wait a minute. Doc, are you trying to tell me that my mother has got the hots for me? Precisely. <laughs> to which Marty responds, Wow, this is heavy. <laughs> this is the uh, this is the best. Like it's all heavy. heavy. <laughs> is, is, is there some problem with gravity? What does it he say? <laughs> something. There's something wrong with the Earth. Earth's gravitational, gravitational pull. pull. Yeah. I keep saying this. <laughs> <laughs> and now the question is, how are we going to get your dad to in, react? You know, interact with her on a social level. And then Doc sees, oh, there's a, how does he describe because it? Because of a rhythmic ceremony. <laughs> a rhythmic ceremony. <laughs> of course, the enchantment under the sea dance. They're supposed to go to this. That's where they kiss for the first time. All right, kid. You stick to your father like glue and make sure he takes her to the dance. Now we're off in the lunchroom and Marty is talking to George. Man, he's paying it. George got to be like, who is this guy? Why is he paying so I mean, much yeah, attention like, to me? Like, you'd be like, is he hitting on me, bro? <laughs> yeah. Um... And we find out that George is writing science fiction stories. 
But he could never show them to anyone. I mean, what if he got rejected? I don't think he could take that. So weird. Where have we heard that before? Yeah, right. I guess that would be pretty hard for somebody to understand. Uh, no. No, not hard at all. So the sweet part of the movie, honestly, yeah. is the connection between father and son that develops. Because well, isn't that what happens to all of us in our lives? Like we think our fathers are so uncool. Well, at least I, you know, at least I did. And then you cross that line with them for whatever reason at whatever time in your life you do, and you're like, oh shit! Like I didn't know you had all this other stuff this going stuff. on. Yeah, it's a great like connective thing, and it usually doesn't happen this young. It usually happens later in life. So. Yeah. It's fun to see but at that moment. Movie. Like, I mean, I remember like seeing pictures of my dad in Vietnam or like when he was like a doctor in San Diego and like my dad was like a player. Yeah. Like, yeah. He was always out with these oh, like yeah. different ladies. Like, and you're like, you see this guy and you're like, you don't. And I think that's what's great about this movie is it really gets to the you don't know. And it's like, you know, like you said, like this is where they got the idea for it. Yeah. But you just don't know your parents lives and the story that your parents tell you. Uh, probably not to the extreme of the yeah, McFlies, yeah, it's not. but it's never the full story. Like right. you never really know. And so it's just, <laughs> it really nails it. And to, you know, to what we were talking about, but just like a well-crafted story. It's just that, that one line with Marty being afraid to share his music and not knowing right. if he should do it or not. And then just having that moment where you're like, my dad had something and he was afraid to show it. And the guy that I know back in my timeline mm. never did anything with it. Yeah. It's it's just go- there's there was there was nothing. He's a loser. One of the things that Steven Spielberg said that was really interesting, I think, was that he looked at the script. And he went, "Oh, this is actually a movie about the generation gap. This is a movie about yeah. kids not related to their parents, but it's framed within this really beautiful sci-fi structure. So it's got this high concept frame to explore a really human thing, which is kids were relating to their parents." I'm like, "Man, Steven Spielberg, I guess there's a reason why you're such a successful dude." <laughs> Um, But right now, Marty's trying to encourage George to go talk to Lorraine. She really wants you to ask her to the dance, which isn't such good advice. And George is going, no, I think she wants someone else. And we cut to Biff behind Lorraine. And he says some horrible. What you want? You know you want it. You know you want me to give it to you. That's assault. That's assault. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She slaps him, though. Shut your filthy mouth. I'm not that kind of girl. It's like full hashtag me too. Like it's like the whole the whole the whole ball of wax. <laughs> yeah. And then Marty grabs Biff and pulls him away and Biff stands up and there is a great high angle looking down at Marty. I think Biff's on a couple of apple boxes in this one. He's <laughs> he's tall. He's not actually that much taller than. Him. But they don't add in that Marty looking that that Marty take until the sequels, right? I don't know. I don't think it's in here. No. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think so. I haven't watched the sequels in forever. I like the third one. I like the third one better than the second one. Listen, y'all, Back to the Future 2 is fun times. You've sure. got Biff as Donald Trump. You've got, like, Marty McFly in drag as his daughter. Like, you have got... Yeah. You have got... There's some, a lot of stuff in there. You've, you've got that awesome Pizza Hut dehydrator thing where, like, they just give you a little bag, you pop it in the dehydrator, you get a whole Pizza Hut pizza. Look, there's a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> <laughs> to me, this is like... Back to the Future 2 is like if George Lucas was allowed to keep going down the Ewok train, that's what he would have ended up with. <laughs> And this is what this when is, are we doing this, the Ewok movie uh, on Cinephiles? Because I am here for it. What Ewok movie? Was oh, that the Caravan the, of Courage? The, the Caravan of Courage. We're not doing the Caravan the Battle of Courage. For Endor. Ewok, the Caravan of Courage and its sequel, the Battle for uh, Battle for Endor. I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you what. Here's what I'll do. Don't. I will I will loan you guys the microphones. And you two can go do it. <laughs> and we can put it on Patreon. Oh I will God. have no connection no. to this whatsoever. 
<laughs> I mean, the level to which he'd have to donate to the Patreon to make that happen. <laughs> hey, Talk about guys, who, out, who, guys and girls, who out there wants to hear these two do the? I don't even need to be the guest. I just want to hear these two do the right. Ewok no. uh, caravan of courage of cinephiles. Just on on Twitter, let them know you want it. It's at least no. a five thousand dollars. That's a big, big bid on Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> twenty five thousand, I yeah. would say. And I, I would say for twenty five grand, we do it. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you could call in and be part of the show. I, yeah, for you, twenty-five grand. You, there's a lot of stuff the cinephiles would do for twenty-five God grand. Start that Kickstarter. So uh. the fight almost happens, but then Strickland walks up, and uh, we end with Biff saying, "So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? <laughs> and get out of here? Get out of here? <laughs> it's make like a tree and leave, you idiot!" Now there are like fifty of those jokes in two, right? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. It keeps going. Yeah, we're on the street and. Marty is still following him, and he's saying, he's like, if you don't ask her to the dance, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. And he says, Look, I'm just not ready to ask Lorraine out to the dance. And not you, nor anybody else on this planet is going to make me change my mind. On this planet. Boom. On this planet. Is the planet. Cut to middle of the night. George asleep with a sci-fi magazine on his chest. Marty slips the headphones over him, hits a button on the uh, Walkman, and we hear, which, by the way, the tape in the Walkman says Edward Van Halen. And the reason is is because the members of the band wouldn't agree to actually let them have the rights. The only person who said yes was Eddie. Uh So they get Edward Van Halen, but not the band Van Halen. That's hilarious. So David Lee Roth apparently was not into this Back to the Future idea. That isn't cool, man. (laughs) Hand me my tights. Like you worried about it too. This movie rockers were very concerned about that across the spectrum. (laughs) They had an they had an image. They had. They all had a meeting at the Rock and Roll headquarters. (laughs) I don't know, man. (laughs) Meanwhile, back at the Rock and Roll headquarters. (laughs) That is another good idea for a superhero show. Kenny Loggins is saying, "I'd never do that." <laughs> Even I wouldn't do that. <laughs> Somebody Real danger zone going into this movie. <laughs> Michael McDonald's trying to get hurt. No, no, don't let Michael in. Who let Michael in here? Copyright, we'll copyright, cinephiles. Yeah, that's right. Um, he blasts the the thing through the Walkman and then tells him, "I am Darth Vader." Yeah, from the planet Vulcan. Oh, I thought that was so funny. Great mix. Um, first of all, how does he know where George lives? Second of all, how do you sneak in there? Third of all, how do you sneak in there wearing <laughs> freaking shit? I mean, like, all well, he of He followed him to the house. Like, okay, he, but... He did, but, yes, the breaking and entering. Yeah, the breaking and entering. <laughs> well, again, I'm going to defend Eric Stoltz here for a minute. <laughs> so... <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so... So, Eric Stoltz reads this script where... So, I go back in time, creepily follow my dad around, <laughs> break into his house in the middle of the night, and torture him. <laughs> this is not a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> So, by the way, there's a whole deleted scene of that goes on forever of him convincing him to do this thing that's all cut out. Because you just cut to him saying, running on the street, saying, I've got a... No, you don't need it. Oh, and he drugs, he chloroforms him. That's why George oversleeps until 10 a.m. the next day. Um, yeah. Hashtag Eric <laughs> Hashtag in defense Stoltz of Eric right. Stoltz. Yeah, in defense hashtag Eric in defense of Eric Stoltz. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, then I chloroform my dad. <laughs> And I, and probably, we have the, probably for the best that that's deleted. Yeah. It is. And Marty's like in a, a garage where he can't open this bottle. And we have the great just like take it, open it on the bottle opener. Again, little little stuff, but very funny. By the way, George McFly. So Marty's like, you should ask Lorraine out. I can't do it. This guy comes. Guess what? 
this alien showed up and said the exact same thing as you. Here's what I wonder is does Star Trek and Star Wars exist into the Back to the Future universe? And what happened in 1966 when the first episode of Star Trek aired and you heard about the planet Vulcan and in 1977 when Star Wars came out? Yep. Well, clearly that didn't happen because at the end of the movie, George has that book come out, which is clearly based on what happened totally to him. Totally based yeah. on his experience. So the reason that McFly's have all that money is because he made up Darth Vader and Vulcan well, in his book. Well, except that Biff says, hey, your first book came out. Yeah. That's what I don't understand. I, I, I just in caught 85. that this time, in 85. Right. Where did the money come from? I assumed that he, when I originally saw it, I assumed that he had written many books. But Biff does say, here's your first book came out. Or did he say first printing of your book? I think he said first book, but I'm not 100% sure. No, he says first book. Mr. McFly! Mr. McFly, this just arrived. Oh, hi, Marty. I think it's your new book. Oh, honey, your first novel. Okay. So maybe he's been writing, like, because science fiction writers maybe wrote short magazine stories. Or, years. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I love sure. this. Maybe all, all. <laughs> and young Gene Roddenberry read one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I have an idea. So, Marty, in addition to inventing skateboarding, rock and roll, and making uh, Goldie run for mayor, he yeah. also invented science fiction. Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Good, good. Talk about not messing with the timelines, but really messing with the timelines of shit. Well, and also that nobody actually had to be a creative genius because <laughs> right, they all got the ideas from the future. So we're outside the diner, and he's like, just go talk to her. Say whatever's natural. Nothing's coming to his mind. He says, well, just say. Destiny brought you together. Tell her that she is the most beautiful girl you've ever seen in the world. Girls like that stuff. What are you, what are you doing? I'm writing this down. This is good stuff. Yeah. And then he goes in. Give me a milk. Chocolate. I mean, <laughs> Lewis. Fast. He came. He came to play. Yeah. <laughs> slide down the grab. Full. It's like a full gunslinger sort of yeah. feel. The wipe of the mouth. The, I don't know where he's I cool. Mean, I mean, I don't know if he's cool, but wow. for him, a lot of stuff. Don Roca. He got some chocolate milk. <laughs> he just got cool. It's the wipe. It's the wipe. It's that's the wipe. Cool. Yeah. We're we going to do this. Oh, it's so it's so good. He goes up to her and says, My density has brought me to you. Wait a minute. Don't I know you from somewhere? Yes. Yes. I'm George. George McFly. I'm your density. And she kind of likes him a little bit. Yeah. There's a little bit of a nice look from her. And then, and fly. great reaction from Marty and from Biff. And Biff asks for money, and as he's walking up, Marty trips him. Yeah. Yep. That's an interesting moment, man. And then we do, again, we do the stand-up, but this time the camera is lower so that Biff obscures Marty. Um, and we do a gag that we see, which is the, hey, look over there. Hey, what's that? And then punches Biff and then runs, and we're outside. And he's, there's these kids that have these box wooden box with skate with you know boards with wheels yeah. on the bottom knocks takes it knocks the top off of it and he's on a skateboard and so two things i want to say here one this score to this movie is amazing yeah. i like i just like this is like this is like it's this, so great there's a thousand times in this movie to bring up the score but this is like a really good one literally in my notes to bring it up here um also everybody go to youtube and what is that guy who like did the whole thing acapella like they take this scene on YouTube and it's the guy and every it's the entire piece of music, but he's like boom 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 boom. I will put it on our Facebook page.
But you said there were two things. Oh, those are the two. Those are the two things. Like one, just in general, is Alan Silvestri's score is one of the best scores in the history of movie scores. One of the best iconic themes, but also throughout the entire movie, and just the repetitive the repetitiveness of the motifs. And this is like this is one of those great moments where it's a great action sequence. It's a great chase sequence. Everything is awesome, but the music adds a thousand percent to it. Mm. Um, so one of the interesting things about this sequence is that it was shot over a fair period of time. Is that, and again, this goes to sort of what we've been saying a lot, which is that you actually don't come up with all the great ideas all at once. So they shot it, and they start editing it. And in editing, uh, there was one moment where one of the wheels sparked, and um, Zemeckis went, that wheel spark is great. Let's go back, and they shot all these pickups. So all the wheel sparks are pickups. And then they start editing that, and it's like, oh, we really need a shot of this. And they kept going back, editing reshooting pickups editing reshooting pickups and it took it was like a six-week process to make this sequence wow. and it is a great fantastic sequence is that you know he he gets behind a truck and they come after they jump in their car they drive across the the, the lawn the lawn <laughs> again the 50s apparently were different <laughs> it was the wild west almost crush him against the car that he's hanging on to he gets around to the side jumps over something crashes into some people they come after him again and now they're they're literally pushing him with the car and he's holding it and and this is michael j fox for some of it he does know how to ride a skateboard he is doing some of it and then you get to this moment where he looks behind him there's the manure truck behind him well they're also chucking beer bottles at oh and they're chucking beer bottles yeah. at i mean these were delinquents yeah no. i mean they would have killed him um and <laughs> i mean literally you're being pushed by a car into yeah. something like you're gonna die <laughs> And he climbs up over the car, runs through it, jumps on the other side, lands on that skateboard. I mean, and I I do remember being a kid and watching that moment and just going, "That's I've seen the the love the number of movies that I had seen at that age were whatever they were. That was the greatest, coolest, most amazing, awesome thing I had ever seen in a movie. It's, I was, it was great. amazing. That is an Indiana Jones style escape. Just gonna say that those totally those two moments, the Indiana Jones thing in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and this moment of, that are my two favorite. Like, kind of how the hell are they gonna get out of this situation? Moments in the eighties is incredible, yeah. incredible, and it's pulled off in a way that, of course, it's probably impossible, but it seems really real. Yeah. Like you really go like. He just did that. Marty McFly is a full hero in yeah, this moment. Yeah. And they yell shit and they go into the big manure truck. Right. A gag that gets repeated starts, over and over starts again. Starts the gag of Biff getting covered in shit for years <laughs> yeah. to come. Tom Zeb Wilson, great. And who else sees that that Marty McFly is a oh. full hero? Fucking Lorraine. Lorraine. Oh, and the take of uh George McFly yeah. walking away. Yep. Like just defeated. Yeah. Oh, heartbreaking. Even when he's trying not to do it, he can't help himself in the situation. He can't help himself. Right. Because he could have totally like just like taken the hit for his dad, but he couldn't help himself. Uh, I bet Lorraine's dad was watching this going, that's not how you hit kids. I'll show you how to hit kids. There's a cut scene where he wants to go to bed. <laughs> you did it all wrong, son. But as we're talking about it, I mean, it's one of those things that uh, I think like that the movie does really well and kind of like in that life lesson kind of thing because you're talking about George McFly it's like George McFly's George McFly's problem is clearly not that he doesn't have a hero in him and like you right. said the second that the he instinct. goes up to Lorraine even even though he fucks it up right she kind of responds like right, yeah. like it's not that there's something inherently wrong with him it's just that he's not putting himself out there which really is a good life lesson hey everybody out there put yourself out there take the risk take the chance it'll be great the more you know dun 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 so this one this so, one if Biff had not shown up in the diner at that moment, I think 
that George and Lorraine would have ended up together. Oh, maybe. But, and I think the their life would have been in the middle between the loser life that we saw at the movie and the winner life we see at the end of this movie, they would have had it in between because George had had a little bit yep. to ask her out, mm. but not the he didn't become a full hero at all. Right. To become a, to be, have the full winner life, we have to have him become a full hero. Uh, right now, we're back at Doc's, and Doc is watching that videotape with the Libyans again, and then just kind of goes, "Oh, it's a really interesting technology." And Marty goes, "This is the first time we have the hey, there's something I should tell you." And Doc goes, "No man should know too much about his own destiny." I don't understand. I do understand. If I know too much about my own future, I can endanger my own existence, just as you've endangered yours. And then he goes, "Let me show you this model." Please excuse the crudity of this model. I didn't have time to build it to scale or to paint it. God, it's so good. <laughs> That's a perfect visual joke. Yeah. <laughs> and and he's showing everything that's going to happen. We got the clock tower. We got a wire going down. There's a hook on the DeLorean, which he has a little wind-up car. He's here, you take this, and I'm going to be the lightning. And he's got some big, you know, clamps from his, you know, jumper cable things. And he puts one on the clock tower, and he goes, okay, ready, set, release. And Marty releases the car, and he sparks the thing, and there's a shock that hits the car that bursts into flames, that flies off the table, runs into a pile of rags, and, and creates a fire. And Doc Brown's reaction to the fire, there's just a... <gasps> Vintage Christopher Lloyd. Great. And, you know, and of course, Marty's reaction is, wait, that's me. This is not... Um, and then... Knock, knock, knock. Your mom is at the door. All right. I mean, she she is tenacious. She is. A she knows what she wants. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I suggest you watch this scene. And just, just for Christopher Lloyd. Just watch Christopher oh. Lloyd. Don't, don't look at them at all. Just yeah. look at Christopher oh, Lloyd yeah. the entire time. He is and so it's amazing. Funny. It's so... His faces are the best. <laughs> because I don't think he fully comprehended the degree to which mom was into her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. Um. And, and and she's just going, you know, he's trying to play up George. He's like, oh, George, he's cute and all, but I think a man should be strong. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's just this great, at the ends of this great two shot of her and Marty with Doc in the background, and she's kind of moving forward. It's it's <laughs> great. <laughs> um, we're back with George, and he's still asking, like, how am I, how are we going to make this work? And Marty has a plan, which is basically, I'm going to, Get gonna, handsy with my I'm mom. Get handsy yeah. with mom. I mean, like it's it's that's the, it's a horrible, upsetting plan. <laughs> and she's going to resist. He's dependent upon, despite everything he's Which, seen. Yeah, like at no point in this movie should you think she's gonna say no to this. It's true. But deep down, he still has the image of his mom as she was raised a nun. So that's who his mom is. So clearly, she's going to resist. But like. And yes, but like if you really think about it, like given everything he knows, I can buy the whole like, well, she talks a big game, but at the end of the day, my mom really was basically a nun. Right. His line is, she'll get angry. Nice girls get angry when boys take advantage. Which the great visual gag of him, you're going to touch her on, and he's holding the bra. Holding the bra. <laughs> but like, that means he has to like push the envelope with mom to the point that she's going to say, this is too far. And like, which means Ugh! he's going to have to yeah. put his hands on his mom. There was a collective shudder in the room. Right. <laughs> I mean, well, don't forget, he's 16. This is the logic of a 16 year old, right? Well, it, 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 well, and the fact that, to put it frankly, 
Leah Thompson's cute. Yeah. That makes this all so much more trouble. It is. <laughs> That's why I think when I saw it the first time, it never I never had any kind of feeling about it being incestuous or anything like that. I just found the humor. It was funny. It isn't until later when people put that idea in your head or you figure it out watching like, oh, well, oh again, this, this is, is the brilliance of Michael J. Fox and the brilliance uh, yeah, of the movie and everything, of which is as now like having watched this movie a bajillion times sure. and we can talk about it. But again, Hashtag in defense of Eric Stoltz. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> right. I mean... I've got to try to rape my mom. <laughs> i got to rape my mom. This is a very serious film, man. Eric Stoltz, I'm like, guys, Spielberg. guys, the studios are doing some really avant-garde <laughs> stuff. <laughs> some shit. I, thought, I thought the mask was pushing that. This is really pushing the envelope. Holy shit. Oh, Rocky. <laughs> so... Can you imagine the meeting with him, him and Spielberg? And Spielberg's like wide eyed, just can't even respond as Eric walks out of the room. He does not get the movie at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 and, and, and George kind of goes, I wish I wasn't so scared. And, and Marty gives him some advice. It's like, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Um, in the first version of the script, in this scene, George is hitting a heavy bag and he doesn't have much of a right. But he has a really powerful left. Oh, so they lay in the ground. And the, oh. and the idea was that he was actually a lefty that had been turned into a righty because sometimes they would do that. My grandmother, they, they made her right, right-handed even though she was left-handed. Um, and that in the, in the redone 1985 world, he was a prize fighter. Oh. Yeah. So that's a good example, though, of one of those things uh, where it's like, like you said, like that is a setup and a payoff. It, it, yeah. Everything is logical. Everything about is it. logical. It all makes sense. But that's one of those things that like you you get to a point and this is where you have really good friends or a good writing partner or a good producer or somebody that sits down with you go, this all makes sense. This tracks. You don't need like I'm a big fan of all this. You don't need it. All you need is that he hits Biff. Well, right. and, and the other thing about it, too, is I, and I wonder when the change happened. I don't know at all. But I wonder because you look at Crispin Glover and you go, nope, not going to be yeah. a prize fighter. Yeah. No, that doesn't work. Science fiction writer. That, And then when you go science fiction writer, now you've connected to all this other stuff, including Marty as a musician and including like the whole world that we're in. And you get the Darth Vader joke and all those other things. So like the, you know, the the it does track and then, oh, no, this is better. Um and again, that's why writing is a process. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old. And this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, yeah, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, 
Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. It's that night. We're at the clock tower. The weather is not looking like there's going to be thunder. And the weatherman says, well, it's going not going to be thunder. And Marty's pretty confident about what's going to happen. And Doc says, I can't believe I have to wait 30 years before talking about what happened. And again, Marty tries to tell him. Doc, about the future. No! Marty! We've already agreed that having information about the future could be extremely dangerous. Even if your intentions are good, it can backfire drastically. Whatever you've got to tell me, I'll find out through the natural course of time. We cut to Marty writing him a letter, basically saying, this is what's going to happen. And on the envelope, it says, don't open for 30 years. Or don't open until 1985. Back with Doc, there's a cop that asks him, you know, do you have a permit for this? He goes, oh, yeah, I have a permit. And and we see Marty slip that letter into the pocket of Doc's jacket. And we go to the dance where Marvin Barry and the Starlighters are playing. <laughs> Man, they have nice decorations at their dance. Yeah, That enchantment under the sea dance. That was lovely. That is that is what you want every school dance to look like. That is romantic. I mean, I can to see. Fall in love. Totally. Absolutely. Dare I say it's enchanting. Crispin is dancing alone. Under the sea. There it is. <laughs> oh, boy. And we cut to the parking lot where Marty pulls up in a beautiful car and uh, is sitting with his mom <laughs> and asks, do you mind if we park a while? And she goes, oh, that's car is that? I think that's- Is it Doc's car? It's Mr. Miyagi's car. Mr. Miyagi's car. That's what I was going to say. I actually wonder if it is the same car. That's the universe. It's got to be. This car gets sold to, to Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> to Mr. Miyagi, <laughs> who restores it. Uh, and, and he says, do you mind if I park? we park? And she says, I think parking's a great idea. Man. <laughs> and there's a reaction. Marty, I'm almost 18 years old. It's not like I've never parked before. Uh, <laughs> Yikes. She asks if something's wrong. He goes, no, no. And then she pulls out a flask. It takes drinks some booze. Um, I mean, Lorraine, Lorraine is Lorraine's good. Got, to Lorraine's go. got a problem. Marty's, Marty's about to get out raped by Lorraine. <laughs> like, and I'm terrible. I'm no, I shouldn't make these rape jokes, but like, it feels like she's about to like take control of the situation and rape. She her. has an agenda. Yeah, she does. And when Marty takes the booze from her and takes a little sip, she lights a cigarette and he sprays the car. Yeah, right. It's a good spit take. Yeah. Um, it's it's just all set up so good, and the payoff, it, the, the payoff is so great. I mean, like she's just smoking, drinking, yeah. ready to play. Well, he mean, goes, like, you smoke too? And she says, you should be beginning to sound like my mother. <laughs> um, One of us does. <laughs> and there's a look, and we're back with Crispin Glover, who looks up at the clock, and we realize, oh, he's late. Like, dude, you had one job. Yeah. <laughs> you have one job, you're showing up late. And now uh, Leah's back in the car, and she takes off her little wrap or whatever. She looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, and Marty says, have you ever... Uh, been in a situation where you knew you had to act a certain way but when you got there you didn't know if you could go through with it and her response is yes but then that's when i just do whatever i feel and she goes in for that kiss (laughs) (laughs) this is what's great about the movie she goes in, the yes. whole thing's being laid out for her yes. to go after him and you know get on top of him and get what she wants from him physically. She kisses him and the twist immediately is that no spark at all and, and this her eyes are wrong. open. Yes. And that's such it's a instant. brilliant thing. Yeah. And she comes back and she says, "This is all wrong. I I don't know what it is. 
But when I kiss you, it's like I'm kissing my brother. And that's where this movie actually pulls itself away from being like super creepy is because they actually have this underlying thing that is like it goes all the way right up to the edge. And then it says there is an underlying thing where there is something that you instinctually know that you wouldn't do this. Yeah, This is what they say. They say this is the line that saved the movie. I would yeah. agree with that. They say without this line, this movie actually doesn't, no matter how good it is, yeah. it's like this is a line where you go, okay, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay with what yeah. just happened. Because if they didn't, if she liked kissing him, this is a whole other movie. Yeah. yeah. They didn't go full Lannister. Um, they didn't go full Lannister. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. And the, by the way, as she, the look on Michael J. Fox's face as she, as, after the kiss is so scared and so perfect and so funny is really really good and right as we're in this moment what happens the door opens up and we expect that that's going to be george George, mcfly but it's biff you cost 300 bucks damage to my car you son of a bitch i'm gonna take it out of your ass and this gets scary because he notices her and he notices basically her cleavage and she notices him noticing her, and it is a scary, yeah. creepy moment. And he pushes Marty to the three guys and says, take him away. I'm going to deal with this. And they, he jumps in the car with her, and they're standing there watching. Yeah. Like, they're going to watch this rape. Yeah. It, like, it gets, like, watching it, like, just, like, I, you know, as I was rewatching it for this, like, it gets... Like it's real scary, scary, it's, it's it very uncomfortable. Like yeah. it's like, ooh, this really went there. Stoltz is like, see, yep, somewhere, somewhere, Stoltz is like, I was right, <laughs> I was right the whole time. They drag the creepy scene. They drag Marty away. They throw him in the trunk of the car, and it's the band's car. And out comes Marvin Berry and the other band members, and they go, "What are you doing with that car?" And they say, "A not nice." Slur and the, the, they don't say they don't say the worst one, but they say they the other say, one that they, they got away with. Pretty bad Close enough. And the other band members get out, and those guys scatter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't want to mess with any reefer addicts. And and Marty's banging on the inside of the trunk, and they go, "Where are the keys?" And the keys, of course, are in with Marty. Um, back. Which, I guess that's what happened when you get high. You throw your keys <laughs> in an open trunk. <laughs> Have you ever hung out with reefer addicts? <laughs> I really, I haven't. It's rough stuff. <laughs> George walks out. He sees the tussling going on in the car. This is what he's ready for. He walks up fairly competent. Hey, you. Get your damn hands off. And then he sees Beth. <sighs> Lorraine's face. Mm-hmm. Leah Thompson's face here. It's great. I bet any woman who's ever experienced this situation in real life sees that face and knows that face that they've had on their on their, on their person in this situation. It it is the one moment in this movie that you're like, fuck, this is some serious shit going on here. Like everything else. Eric funny, Stoltz level blah, blah, blah. serious. Yeah, Eric Stoltz level serious. It is. Everything else is like little like uh, kind of a little bit softer type approach to things. But that moment, you know, you actually fear for her and you feel helpless as a viewer of the well, film and, and, about what's about the, to happen. The look is great. But then also it's just like, yeah, like when she too. says, yeah. she basically says, turn around, McFly, get out. And like for all, all evidence is. Yep. George McFly will turn around. Like, like Biff well, is, yeah. She says, George, help me. And she says, George. And, that's what, and yeah. then she says, George, help me. And it is like, it's like, it's a re- it's real. Like, I was like, yeah, man. Shit got real. And he doesn't go? No, Biff. You leave her alone. And Biff gets out. You're asking for it. And now you're going to get it. And George punches him, or tries to. 
does not go well. No. Twists the arm behind the back. Um, back with uh, Marty and the band, they get the trunk over him, but Marvin slices his hand. Ow. Marty runs to help. Back to Biff. She's jumped on top of him to fight him. He pushes her away. He's laughing. I mean, it is a brutal, scary yeah. scene. He's pretty evil. And we see that hand close into the fist. And it's so funny because you know you're in a movie. You, you kind of know what's going to happen. You know that. The, and yet it is so satisfying. It is. When he throws that punch, it spins Biff around and knocks him out. It is one of the great punches in movies. Yeah. The McFly yeah. men can pack a punch. Even in, the, even in the diner, the one punch that Michael J. Fox oh, yeah. gives oh, Biff, yeah. I mean, knocks him down. It, it, it yeah. hits the ground. Yeah. But you're right. It is It is such a satisfying, perfect movie moment it's 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 yeah. like what a movie I, I like my like a great movie moment is when something happens that completely blindsides you that's awesome yeah but a really great moment is when you know what's gonna happen and it happens and you're still like yes like it's perfect yeah, totally and, and i would argue that going so super serious in this moment oh, yeah. helps that oh, moment for sure. to Absolutely. Sell. because if if it had a little bit of comedy it wouldn't have felt it wouldn't have felt as strong of an empowering moment for George. So Biff, it's a chance they took and it paid Biff off. Biff is like Biff is kind of a over the top ridiculous bully for 95% of Back to the Future. Yeah. But for this one moment, he becomes so scary and so yeah. real. And then the, that's and that is what makes mm-hmm. the payoff so great. Um and Marty sees it from a distance and he runs up and Lorraine's not looking at Marty anymore. Mm. She's just got eyes for I, George. I would marry George McFly after that. Like, it is amazing. <laughs> I still not sure that that's a guy I want to be married to. <laughs> it ends up a lot better. I tell you what, in that moment, like, I, like I'm like, George's looking hot. Are you okay? She nods, and they make eye contact, and they head off into the dance. When he puts out his hand for her, that's yeah. so fantastic. Oh, yeah. Guys, I'm getting hot in here. And then someone says, hand. hot for just hashtag hot for says, George. Who is that? And someone else says, it's George that's McFly. That's the best. Like, who is that guy? It's George McFly. And I think we're all good, except he takes out the picture, and now the sister is disappearing. Why? Because they still haven't had the kiss. we got to have the kiss. And so he runs up to the band and says, you got to get in there and play. He's like, you got to finish the dance. He's like, dance is over. Unless you can find someone who plays guitar. Oh, my God. Payoff time. <laughs> and again, it's just like Marty McFly wants to play the school dance. Yep. Marty McFly uh, plays the school cool. dance. Cool. Cut to him looking fairly stone faced playing Earth Angel. I was say stoned. I was like, well, reefer. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe he got to hit a reefer. Yeah. Um, he looks down at the photo on the neck of his guitar and sees they're continuing to disappear. By the way, in order to do that, they had to build a giant guitar neck and blow up a giant picture in order to make this shot work. Yeah. Um, some weird things you do in filmmaking. And uh, George and Lorraine are dancing, and she says, aren't you going to kiss me? And he goes, I don't know. And as he's making the decision, it comes a horrible asshole. I mean, horrible guy. Yeah. A horrible ginger. Let me cut in. <laughs> a horrible Gingers, ginger. man. <laughs> hey. No offense. And and George gets pulled away, and as he does, the guitar goes bad. And I love the way this is constructed. I think it's really beautifully done. We have problems with the guitar, and then he can't play, and then he falls down, and Lorraine is calling to him, and it's all getting sort of echoey and weird. And I mean, who is this guy that's like cackling? I don't know. Laughing. She's going, George, George. It's so it's so silly. Like it's so ridiculous. I mean, that guy's horrible, and he's the way he's laughing is. But you're just like. We already escaped Who the rapist. Is this guy? This is a guy that's been following them the whole time. <laughs> it's not even like, 
like he's been forget, waiting for the moment. Forget, forget, like the fact that he's just there as the obstacle for the moment. But like, it really, this guy, this guy's like, hey, you know what I think would be a good idea? I'm gonna go grab this girl from this guy, pull her away, and as she's trying to get away, I'm just gonna It'll cackle. cackle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, and Marty looks up at his hand, which is now begin to go transparent, yeah. which I think, by the way, is the one effect in the movie that they felt they never really got well. It's, they didn't think it was a great effect. And then back comes George McFly. He, this is, in a way, this is the bigger transition than I think Agreed. the punch. Agreed. Is, is, it is. Because yeah. now he's full confident, you know? He actually, well, because, and I think I think it is a really important moment because what George McFly does to Biff, he does out of, not necessity. He could have walked away. Like he stays for Lorraine. He defends Lorraine. But he's in a moment where he's either going to get his arm broken or he's not. And he does the thing, and it's great. But this is the moment where, with no Marty, no Darth Vader from Vulcan, no anybody else, no. he has now learned the behavior of no. I'm going to go do this. Right. Like it's now like you get. He did that one thing. You're like that was the great moment. But now you get. Oh, this is going to stick. Yeah. He's made a. He's made a life change at this point. And and he takes her in his arms and he and he kisses her and Marty just pops back up, Earth yeah. angel, <laughs> right back to playing his angel, and gives a little salute. And I think we're done. We solved all our problems. Now we just got to go forward in time. But the band wants to do one more song, something that really cooks. <laughs> I mean, this is and this is just pure like this is the icing on the cake moment of a movie. You're like, we could have just run out and gone home, and I would have been satisfied. But man, this is just the best. All right, this is uh, this is an oldie, but uh, well, it's an oldie where I come from. And he gives some quick instructions, like, to the band, like... All right, guys, uh, listen, this is a blues riff from B. Watch me for the changes and try and keep up, okay? And goes into Johnny B. Good. You're, you're not a fan? No, it's the worst version of Johnny B. Good I've ever heard. <laughs> and what it leads to is complete and utter bullshit that a white man created rock and roll. It's fucking bullshit. So okay. anyway, go ahead. That okay. So fair. that point has been fair. made. That's yeah. definitely yes. Yeah. Fair. I, I totally say that's fair. Yeah. I'm just saying seven year old Michael watching of Michael course. J. Fox play guitar and sing Johnny Be Good. Yeah. I thought was amazing. But once again, you said it uh, uh, in the first part, the ca- casual soft race. No, you're right. Absolutely. And it is a little bit here. It's so, a funny moment. Look, I'm not taking anything with a funny moment. Certainly a funny moment. But, you know, the connotation is 100%. there in 2019. 100% agree. Yeah, yeah. 100% agree. But I still what, think it's a Because what we go to is Marvin Berry going backstage. And that's a lot of setup. To, like, yeah. the, why is he named Marvin Berry to go backstage and say, hello, Chuck? It's your it's Marvin. Your cousin Marvin. Marvin Berry. <laughs> Marvin <laughs> Berry. He says his last name. Remember you were listening for that new sound? Like, Here Marvin it is. Who? <laughs> <laughs> who is this? What also is, is weird. The reef addict. What's my reef addict cousin. I can't have you on so, the phone. So he's doing Johnny Be Good. But what's weird to me is when he holds out the phone, he's stopped doing Johnny yeah, Be he's Good. Not now, now he's doing all. Pete Townsend and Hendrix and yeah. doing all these. You know, he kind of does a pastiche of bad boy guitar yeah. rock. For the next, uh, you know, couple of decades, and it's great to watch the the crowd and the band that was all into him before turn, and then they stop playing, and people stop dancing, and then he does the you know on the knees complete insanity, and looks out at the silent crowd and says, "I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet, but your kids are gonna love it." And again, I think the thing that's kind of interesting about that, uh, just from a like, like I love the idea that. 
you didn't do that thing where he did the thing. He he got what he wanted. He got his desire. Right. He got to perform on stage, and it was and everybody was into it. But I actually do like the fact that they went a little bit further yep. to the point where everybody wasn't with him anymore because it it was it's not important that he Succeeds. was a huge success. Yeah. It was just important that he did it. Right. Like that you put yourself out right, there. Right. 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 Um, and uh, he has a little goodbye with Lorraine and George, where they should, she's like, um, I'm going to stay with uh, George tonight. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Oh, and by the way, if you ever have kids and your eight-year-old burns a hole in the rug, go easy on him. <laughs> when I was eight-year-old, I burned a hole in my parents' rug. Wow. True story. So basically, you burned a hole in your parents' rug. Yes. Your house is Doc Brown's house. Like, what are you trying to tell us here, Steve? <laughs> What's I'm, going on? Are I'm you Eric the- Stoltz. <laughs> <laughs> I know it! Um, and as we leave... I brought you all here today <laughs> to talk about Back to the Future. And then you just rip off your mask. <laughs> My mask. <laughs> so, and as they leave... Lorraine goes, Marty, what a nice name. But you didn't name your first son after this guy. Right, right. <laughs> you named your third child after this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're back to the clock. <laughs> this is just great. Christopher Lloyd steps in a frame, looks at his a watch. Damn. <laughs> steps in a frame, looks at his pocket watch. Damn. damn. <laughs> and then takes another turn, looks at a different watch. <laughs> That's some good silliness. Marty pulls up. The old man really came through. It worked. What? He laid out Biff in one punch. I didn't know he had it in him. He's never stopped to Biff in his life. Doc kind of goes. Never. Never. It's a great. It's a great moment where you're just like Doc. Doc. Doc understands what this means. It's like, oh well, we didn't fix the timeline. We didn't. We we didn't set the timeline back to neutral. No. Yeah. It's we, something has changed. But there's no time to deal with it now. And he goes like, oh, I've calculated the exact distance. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. It's going to be all fine. And he puts the alarm in the car and they have a hug and they say goodbye. There's just a great look for I don't think Doc has hugged people. Mm. Like, I think there's sort of a reaction there that's really nice. And he says, don't worry, as long as you hit that wire at exactly 88 miles an hour, the instant the lightning hits the tower, everything will be fine. Which, by the way, seems hard. And then he finds the note and he freaks out, you know, because it's about the future. The consequences could be disastrous. That's a risk you're going to have to take. Your life depends on it. No, I refuse to accept the responsibility. In that case, I'll tell you straight up. And just as he starts to tell him, a tree falls on that wire and breaks it. I love the way. And now we do have a great sky. Great Scott. I love the way we're building they're building to this climax so beautifully. There's so much stuff going on. And and they go, okay, you're going to tie this to a rope, and I'm going to go up the stairs. So Doc goes up the stairs, up to the clock tower. Um, he would go past the gears that are moving. He comes out on the ledge. And by the way, the two uh, like panthers or whatever, they are statues from the movie Cat People. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. Which I haven't seen since 1985 or 6. Also, I just want to get, I just want to say every time uh, – that we go see a movie at the Grove, yeah. uh, the big shopping center here in Los Angeles, uh, and we walk out late at night uh, after like the Grove is sort of closed, but the mm-hmm. movies are still out. I, every time, for all the hundreds of movies we've seen over the years, I always think of the scene because the Grove. I, I'm, I'm convinced that the Grove oh, was the basically clock? built. Yes, a little bit with of Hill, this, Valley Hill Valley in mind. Like, I, like if you go to the Grove yeah. with the fountain and the little little garden green square over here, and the way the stores are all, and then you have above the Nike store like yeah. the clock. It is 100% and not necessarily during the day when everyone's crowded in there, but when you come out at night and it's dark and you, I just literally am like, I feel like Doc Brown should be up there right now, like <laughs> tugging on some <laughs> wire. 
So the wide shots, they're mostly are Chris Lloyd, and he's up on that actual clock tower with a cable around his waist, so he's tied in, but still really scary because there's huge wind machines going on, one of them which is called the McBride, which apparently is the world's most powerful wind machine, which is huge jet engine on a big cherry picker that they could just move around and just blast massive wind. So that was really scary, but when you're in close-ups, they're on stage 12 at Universal. They've just rebuilt that entire set exactly like that. And he throws the rope down and Marty ties it to the cable and Doc pulls it up. And Marty is trying to tell him about the future, but it's too loud and Doc can't hear it. And then finally, it's like, look, it's time. The clock is moving. We've reached, you know, is it 1 a.m.? Is that what time it is? No, I don't remember. I should know. So, um, And he goes, you got to go. And so finally, Marty gets in the DeLorean and drives away. Um, and he does slide across the hood of the car before getting in because because obviously because you got to do a little bit that cool move and Marty gets off to where it says start, there's a like a line on the ground that says start here and this by the way this is a master class of editing and intercutting and this was about a month to edit this sequence wow I mean it's just so tight in how they're going back and forth and when they're going back and forth. Marty gets out of the car, he sets up the hook, and is saying, "Why, God, why did you have to tear up that letter? If only I had more time. Wait a minute. Wait a time machine. I'm in a time machine. And then he sets it forward just 10 minutes. I'm like, maybe you give yourself a little more time, dude. <laughs> like, give yourself a day, bro. <laughs> um, and he looks around, okay, does his check. Time circuit's on, flux capacitor, flexing, engine running. All right. Engine dies. Because we got to just add a little bit more to the tension. And Doc kind of sees the plug and he climbs around the narrow edge of the thing, which which breaks as lightning strikes. When he falls, the cable is now stuck on his pants leg that he somehow has to lift up to get up to the other cable. Marty's trying to start the car. The, the lights are flickering. Doc is hanging and reaching for that one cable. He still can't quite reach it. He has both both of the plugs in his hands. He's pulling them together, and they don't quite reach because the cable is still under that tree. This time, come on. Marty, in desperation, hits the wheel with his head, and the car starts. Isn't that nice? Uh, Marty's driving. He's... Doc is pulling and pulling, trying to get the plug to reach. And, of course, he pulls the plug off the bottom. One more problem. Doc looks up at the clock, and it moves. And we're now like a minute away from this whole thing. And, by the way, one of the things about this kind of a scene is if you if you have a clock and you have this much time, you kind of have to be pretty close to doing it in that amount of time. Mm. You can't mess with the time that much. And when you're shooting it, you have to think about exactly where is the right. clock at this moment and have and continue to okay, bring the clock back a minute. Okay, shoot this. It has to all make sense. You can't mess it up too much because everyone's looking at that time. The camera pushes in on Marty as he's driving. And this is where we're in that, that third DeLorean that's been cut to pieces. These are all process shots. So he's not really driving. He's got rear projection going behind the screen. Doc sees the lightning. He sees the car coming. He finally has an idea. He connects the cable. Marty shifts gears. Doc loops some uh, metal cable around the clock, and he slides down that cable, frees the plug. The car hits 87 miles an hour. Doc runs to the drop cable, plugs them together just as a lightning hit. Boom, the car hits the thing. Doc is thrown back, and the car disappears. (laughs) 
That is a perfect, perfect sequence. Steve, that was almost as exciting as seeing it the first time. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you. I don't think it was. Certainly not for me. Um, and I love Christopher Lloyd in this moment. That, that, that cheer. That the cheer. And the little dance. Yeah. And the camera comes down as he walks forward. And there's the, all the fire everywhere from what has just happened. It's awesome. And then we cut to the clock tower. Thinking we're still in 1955 and the helicopter comes out from behind and we realize <gasps> we're back to the future. Yeah. And there is uh, Marty McFly and there's like a homeless guy who's an actor I've seen in all sorts of stuff. Yeah. I don't know who it is. Um, and we see, he looks around, sees the porn theater and all the other stuff. He goes, oh, good. I'm back home. Oh, good. I'm back in my shitty timeline. <laughs> <laughs> and then sees the Libyans drive by and goes, no, not again. Jumps in the car. Of course, car won't start. So he runs after them. He gets to the Lone Pine Mall. <laughs> Which it's like, that's one of those little things that like, it's never, that's a great joke that's just never mentioned. It's just there. Like it's never, like the payoff is so little and in all the other things you do, you might not notice, but like it's one of my favorite things. Um, and he gets there just in time to watch Doc Brown get killed again. So maybe you should have given yourself a few more minutes, Marty. <laughs> Um, and uh, sees himself scream, sees himself gets chased, sees uh, the DeLorean disappears, sees the uh, Libyans in the VW bus crash into the photomat booth or whatever it is, and he runs up to Doc, turns him over, and as he's crying over Doc, Christopher Lloyd blinks his eyes and looks up and sits up behind Marty. You're alive. And he unzips his you know suit to reveal that bulletproof vest. How did you know? I never got a chance to tell so you. So tricky, Doc. You're tricky. <laughs> he pulls up the letter and it's all taped together. How about all that talk about screwing up future events, the space-time continuum? Well, I figured. What the hell? <laughs> Which I love. It's real scientific. <laughs> um, they drive back to Marty's house. We ask, like, how far in the future are you going to go? And he goes, oh, 30 years. He says, look me up when I get there. And he agrees and says, you know, be careful on the reentry. It can be a little bumpy. And I love that he pulls away and then goes out of frame and then drives past. And then we just see some lights and hear that he's doing it. And that is a case of they were out of money. <laughs> but it's really better, you know, and they think yeah. it's better, too, to not see it. But really, it was just that effect would cost money. And just having some lights and sound, that's free or cheap. Uh, and Marty goes in through the gate, and it's the next morning. He wakes up, still sleeping in his clothes, and he walks into his house. And I think we see it before he sees it. Little hints of like, wait, yeah. what's going on here? And there he sees his brother and sister, brother in a suit, sister looking really nice. And he's going, what's happening here? And they're like, breakfast? It's called breakfast. A, let's talk about healthy eating habits in the McFly house. Like, <laughs> I think in the beginning scene, I think literally George McFly is like pulling, like pouring himself a bowl of fiddle faddle or something. Like, peanut brittle. Peanut yeah, like yeah. it's so gross. There's a deleted scene where a kid convinces, like selling peanut brittle to raise money convinced George McFly to buy a whole case of peanut brittle. <laughs> That's why he's having it for dinner. Oh my God. <laughs> um, probably good they cut that. But, uh, but yeah, but like they got the little grapefruit. They got everything good. And then it's just like, it's the payoff of like all the stuff. Like, because the brother is telling the sister, he's like, oh, I can't keep all the guys you're dating straight. So yep. clearly, like, that's going well. He's got the suit on. Like, it's just, it's lovely. And then and right at that moment, in walks mom and dad from their tennis game. And mom is thin and dad looks suave. Here's what I find interesting. We know that dad had like greasy hair, you know, and, and I think his son said, hey, try to change the oil dad in the original version. Now he has gray hair. So 
George McFly in the alternate in the first universe was dyeing his hair right and oiling it right and now he looks great and then and marty's just trying to keep up with all this and says something about the car getting wrecked and they're like what you wrecked a car they look outside it's like why am i the last to know about like (laughs) even when they're upset they're happy like it's the weirdest thing it's very someone said by the way a criticism of this movie which i think is silly is that this was the ultimate 80s uh, materialistic thing because oh it's happy that they're now rich you know yeah. and, and I'm like yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think that's what's your fucking problem yeah. like being rich is a good thing Um, I think not being the lives that they were living before certainly they've improved here Yeah, and who is out waxing that car Biff. Biff and also I think it's not so much that they have money it's that they are successful, successful. at their lives and they're loving with each other yeah. there's the, that's yeah. the thing they really. seem happy yeah money is money it's what you do with it that matters and they seem like they're building a nice happy home oh and, and we also, although they all still live at home which is a little weird but okay go ahead and we also get into the thing where mom's saying hey Jennifer called aren't you heading out to the lake and going on this he's like no no I'm not doing that she's like yeah you are you've been planning this for a long time so mom is no longer the right. nun that she was in the other reality. All about the premarital sex. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> or trusting her children. Yeah, sure. Wait, but do you think that, that she didn't have premarital sex with George McFly in the alternate reality? I think she did. I, she absolutely. I would have said she did, yeah. yeah. But Oh, in the alternate reality, yeah, I guess so. Well, I think she did in both realities. But you're yeah. saying she's just okay with her son doing it. Yeah, yes. right. with her teenage son. Yes. She gives him a very knowing glance. Yeah. Mm. Um, and we go out and we see Biff, sex who's waxing family guys. It's sex positive. Sex positive. Um, we see Biff waxing the car, and he has become like full Ned Beatty from Superman at yeah. this point. He's a full toady. <laughs> He's George McFly. He's like I'm almost done, Mister McFly. Yes, Mister McFly. Yes, Mister Isn't he like a bit like green jumpsuit as well? Like the ugliest thing. Bill. Bill. Which, by the watching this time, I was like, wait, the guy who attempted to rape your wife, you now have in your employ is like a weird. It's weird. But it does satisfy the everything has turned around thing. And Biff comes in, as we said before, with the new book, which it says uh, Match Made in, Match made in space, space, I think. I think. Yeah. Is the name of the book? With the with the Marty's uh, outfit. The containment suit. Yeah, the containment yeah. suit. It's probably Scheinberg's suggestion. For that. <laughs> <laughs> Ghost. that should have been Spaceman from Pluto. <laughs> space, it should have been Spaceman from Pluto. Oh, my God. Oh, that'd be so great. Funny. He goes outside, and there's Jennifer, and he's so happy to see her. She's like, it looks like you haven't seen me in a week. He's like, I haven't. And then she goes, well, is everything all right? And he looks back at his parents, and he goes, oh, yeah. Everything is great. Here's my question about this. So um, the two kids, the two brother and sister, they were kind of messed up. They were raised by these, you know, dysfunctional parents, moms an alcoholic, dad's a complete, you know, mess. And because of that, they, you know, he worked at the fast food place and she had boyfriend stuff and, and that they were messed up. And now that they were raised by more functional parents, they're, you know, happier, more stable. Marty, that is here, he was still raised by the fucked up parents. Right. So- he is. He doesn't. He, I mean, does he even? They, they could say to him, "Hey, you remember that trip to Mexico when you were in junior high?" No. Do you remember when your mm-hmm. d- when dad practiced baseball with you? No. Like I remember mom being drunk and dad <laughs> running away. Like he, like he doesn't have the benefit of being raised by these nice parents right. that his brother and sister have. What does it lead to? That's the question. Which we never deal with because in the sequels we spend no time here at all. Right. right. Um. 
You're, you're deeply contemplating this, it looks like. I am. I'm, I'm actually just trying to think about like the theoretical... <laughs> how, how it works. If, if you go back in time and you alter your timeline, when you return to your timeline, would you change or not? And well, in this case, he clearly hasn't. And in, but I think and in, in any case that we ever see from an entertainment standpoint, that's not the case because we are always with the character's perspective. Right. Like we are always with the character that is traveling through time. Um, but it's an interesting technically. Uh, I think I've seen versions where, oh, in um, is it, is it in Days of Future Past or something? It's like where you eventually sort of like you start to remember mm. your other Mm. Yeah, I, I think so. I feel like frequency. You start to remember both. Yeah. You, you start, start to, remember to remember both, both memories. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, but we don't go into that because just as he's saying everything's okay, who comes back but Doc Brown in the DeLorean who has another entrance getting out of that car with yeah. that jacket and those glasses, which, by the way, were entirely opaque. He could see nothing through those glasses because <laughs> they're just pieces of metal. Yeah. Um, and he says, you got to come with me. Marty! You've got to come back with me. Where? Back to the future. He goes, what, are we messed up in the future? He's like, no, you two, great. It's your kids. Yeah. <laughs> and he fill, He goes, grabs some garbage, puts it into the Mr. Fusion, which is a fantastic joke. And we say, no, we don't need plutonium anymore because we have this. And we get back in the car and, and start to pull back. And Marty goes, well, shouldn't you back up farther? We're going to need more road. Fucking great ending. <laughs> Fucking great. You want to say it? Roads. Well, we're going, we don't need roads. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> um, and by that the, yeah, ahead, flies ahead. away and then comes straight towards camera, and that is the end of Back to the Future. By the way, can we just say, I just like, like I actually, I know I'm the one person in here who actually still has a soft spot for Back to the Future 2, but it is ridiculous mm. that when they had to, again, it's like the, guys, uh, we got to come up with a problem for the kids. What are we going to do? Well, their son is going to get in a fight in Hill Valley, and it's going to make the news in like USA Today front page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's going to go to jail forever. And you're just that's like, a ah, big deal. Ah. But that's for another cinephiles. <laughs> yeah, they kind of dropped the ball there. Um, uh, goes into post-production. The rough cut was so good, they did a screening, an early, early screening, no special effects, no nothing, in, in San Jose, I think. And they had multiple standing ovations during the movie. It was so good. Sid Steinberg said the movie was originally slated for an October release. He said, no, we have to release this by the 4th of July. So stepping up a movie from an October to release 4th of July, they had editors, sound effects, special effects running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They put the movie, the movie went out into theaters nine weeks after it wrapped wow. principal wow. photography. Wow. Wrap. wow. Isn't that insane? That is insane. And so here's a crazy, so Alan Silvestri, he had done the score for Romancing the Stone and uh, Spielberg never liked that score because it was too small and too simple. And he, so he told Zemeckis, you need a big score. So the only note Zemeckis gave to Silvestri was, big they were so rushed that what they said and i can't believe that this is true but this is what silvestri said zemeckis had not heard a note of the score when they showed up on the scoring stage to score the movie wow with 98 piece orchestra <laughs> that's how big the score was because they said big i don't see how that's possible and as you say it is one of the great scores of all time um the movie is obviously a huge hit. Number one for 11 weeks. It's the biggest film of 1985. It made $380 million in the box office. Um, it had some nominations. Nominated for screenplay, Power of Love for best song. Oh, by the way, Back in Time plays in the credits. That's our other Huey Lewis song. 
Uh, it won for sound effects editing. That's the only thing it won for. And there are two sequels, as we discussed. Yeah. There are video games. There are there was a big ride at Universal. Animated, animated series. Animated series. Animated series. Starring Jules and Vern. <laughs> and I think I, we might be at the point of discussing our final thoughts on Back to the Future. Mm. Um, I will go first. Here are my final thoughts. I love this movie so much, and I might put it into this category, which is a strange one of this might be a perfect movie, hmm. you know. And I'm not not all great movies are perfect movies, and by perfect movie, I mean that the 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 machine of this movie doesn't waste a moment. Like every single moment is there for a reason. It is every shot. There's no sh wasted shot. There's no you know lines where you go, oh, that one was a little off. There's really no misses in this movie at all. I think it works absolutely perfectly. It is so much fun. It its sense of humor is so well established. The characters are so well developed, and it's such such a satisfying film for me to watch uh i just love it i don't think it's like a deep movie but i think it is such an enjoyable movie and this is like s the core of 80s filmmaking to me is like tight fun well constructed and the that the final sequence of you know the way it's put together of him hitting the wire when the lightning strikes is just great uh who would like to go next? I'll go next. Uh, I think this is one of those 80s movies that just, it's like a fine wine. It just keeps getting better and better and better. I mean, I, I think the 80s probably produced some of the best, some of the best films that aged well. And just from, from the writing, from the directing, from the performances, everyone was on the same page from beginning to end. I mean, you look at all of those performances, vastly different, but everyone was just dialed in. Except Eric Stoltz. Well, yeah, he... <laughs> he was, di he <laughs> he was went, dialed he, out. He went back in time. Yeah, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think uh, Shannon makes a great point. I, I think that's my thought about it. It's it's a film that never fails to put a smile on my face whenever I watch it. And what else could you want from a movie? Uh, the jokes still work. The overall theme of relationships in terms of your family still works. This idea of wanting, of course, as as Mike and Steve have referenced, this idea of if you just try, you never know what can happen. But at least try. It doesn't mean you succeed. But at least you tried, and that's what matters at the end of the day. And throughout this whole movie, you know, I know we say, oh, Marty doesn't really have the arc. But Marty does, because Marty, at the beginning, is scared to try. Yeah. By the end, he is now motivated to try because he's inspired by his father trying, by everyone else in the film, in the family. When he comes back being successful, it'll inspire him all over again. And so, to me, that that uh, is great as well. But overall, it's just, Steve may be right, it is a perfect film in that way the score works the the action is fun uh the characters are well thought out and drawn out and you never feel like something is shoehorned in just for just to be shoehorned in to make it work later in the film you can tell there was a lot of thought that was uh, put behind this movie and that shows and every once in a while they get it right and you uh, cherish it for that, and it becomes timeless. And this will be eventually considered not just a modern classic, but a classic as we go forward in totally. film, maybe 20 to 30 years from now. Michael? I think of all the hard-hitting, serious dramas that I love, Back to the Future is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, I think that... Uh, hashtag Eric Stoltz. Hashtag Eric <laughs> In defense of Eric Stoltz. Uh, I think that... Um, I think that uh, there's movies that I love because they are inherently a part of my childhood. And there are movies that I love because I think that they are just masterworks of cinema. Right. And I think this is one of the few that gets to be both, which right. kind of just makes it 
all the better. You know, we all have those movies that we love. You're like, I'll always love this movie, but yeah, it aged however I didn't love it. And this has both sides of it, which just will always make it one of my favorite things. That's great. Yeah. Agreed. Well, so you have clearly heard what we think of Back to the Future. Of course, we always always want to hear what you think. Please visit us on our Facebook page at The Cinephiles. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or YouTube and a whole bunch of other places. Reviews on iTunes are a big help to us. They help people find the show, and we want more people to find the show because we're very proud of it. Comments on YouTube are so much fun, and we love interacting with you there. If you want to buy Back to the Future or any movie we've ever reviewed, you can do so on our website, cinephiles.net. And to support the show and possibly get us to do the Ewok, movie i think there are some other suggestions you could go to patreon.com slash the cinephiles and support us there you also can listen to our cinephile shorts by pledging three dollars or more a month we just recorded with these four people it is a fantastic conversation about the dc universe and batman v superman and a whole bunch of other topics it was very funny i definitely think you should subscribe and if you want to reach me you could reach me at sr morris on twitter sr morris on one on instagram john where could they reach you you can also reach me at the roca says on twitter and on instagram and uh if this is coming out in time if you are coming to star wars celebration come see matt nose and i do the top 10 live in chicago two shows go to www.reggieslive.com go to april 11th and see the tickets you can buy there for 6 30 and 9 30 show or nine michael 11. do you have anything you want to plug right now before um i just want to say you can follow me on twitter and instagram at mk tune and uh eric stoltz if you're out there Love to hear your thoughts on, uh, your, on your version of Back to the Future. No doubt. Mr. McClung. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Shannon underscore McClung. And if you would like to go to my Facebook fan page, Shannon McClung fan page, and give it a like, my representation would be very happy. It's one of the finest fan pages you can visit. It's I true. highly recommend them. <laughs> uh, and I think that is it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc